Rules to Reality is a podcast that highlights how regulation shapes or fails to shape our daily lives. I'm speaking to you from Wurundjeri country and would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening today. I would also like to acknowledge the ongoing role that colonisation and racist regulation has had on First Nations, but also First Nations resilience and survival in continuing to connect and practice the oldest living culture in the world. Today I'm speaking with the Honourable Andrew Wilkie, Independent Member for Clark. Andrew's concerns with regulation and governance are some of the most publicised in Australian modern history. On 11 March 2003, Andrew resigned from his role as an intelligence official at the Office of National Assessments over concerns about the impending Iraq war. Andrew was the only official in Australia, the US or the UK to publicly resign before the invasion. And a reminder, upwards of 1 million Iraqi nationals died as a result of that war. From that point on, Andrew has done many things, but for the purposes of this podcast, he's been in federal parliament since 2010. He's been an outspoken advocate on many issues left out of the public debates by the main political parties. I wanted to talk to Andrew Uh, because of his work on two key issues that intersect with regulation, gambling and political donations. Today we spoke about both and Andrew tells us how he has connected to the issues, how the current system is failing, what Parliament can do to fix it and what you can do to make sure, sure Parliament does fix it. A wonderful conversation and I'm still confused why, why these smart guests are all returning my calls. So please enjoy this episode, subscribe, and rate the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you so much for, for being here, Andrew. Um, as you know, the first question for this, this podcast is, why does regulation matter? That's not an obvious question for a lot of people or a lot of people listening. And why does it matter to, to your community? Well, I, I think like, almost all Australians would say regulation matters. I mean, I don't think any of us want excessive regulation, but we all want a sensible amount of regulation for all sorts of good reasons. I mean, probably most obviously to prevent anarchy. Uh, I mean, we need rules. Yeah. Uh, you can't let people drive at whatever speed they want down the road. Uh, you can't let people decide whether or not to put a seatbelt on. Uh, you know, certain things are a crime. Certain things are prohibited. Certain things are penalised. Mm. Um, but it's not just about anarchy. It's also about promoting uh, public health and public safety. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, what better time to be talking about the need for rules with public health than right now? Uh, and, you know, we can debate till the cows come home what are good rules and what are bad rules and where has the government got it right or wrong? But, uh, you know, the most basic things like um, telling people to wear a face mask, you know, in a room full of people at the moment seems like a pretty sensible rule to me and it genuinely um is for, to achieve the aim of, of, of protecting public health and safety um there's also rules to protect individual health and safety yeah. uh and regrettably some people don't know what's good for themselves and would 
and would act recklessly and dangerously if they if they weren't told to behave in certain ways. Mm. Um, and equity, you know, we I'm a bit of a lefty, and I got this idea that society that that uh, this might be the definition of a socialist, you know, that that society has an obligation, and I think it should have a legal obligation to look after all members of itself mm. and to ensure that there is that there is uh, equity, and that needs rules. Mm. To ensure that uh, you know everyone, everyone gets their uh, their fair needs met, and and on that, so it needs so equity and, and needing rules. Um, what would happen if we didn't have the rules? Well, if we, well, if we had a lawless society, mm. it, it would be anarchy. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, I don't know. You'd have to go back thousands of years to to imagine what it might look like. It'd be uh, well forward ten years. Um. <laughs> I mean, it'd be uh, you know, it'd be survival of the the richest, survival of the fittest, mm. survival of the best armed. Yeah, uh, you know, the society would break down. Yeah, um, you know, if if we didn't have rules during this global pandemic, who knows where we, we would be at right now? I assume you know, many tens of thousands of Australians would be dead. Yeah. Um, and hundreds of thousands of Australians will, would have other debilitating health, long-term health effects. Um, if we didn't have rules around the roads, mm. it would just be carnage. Yeah. If we didn't have rules about corporate behaviour, it would uh, be even worse than it is currently with the behaviour of the corporates. Yeah. Uh, if we didn't have, didn't have rules around uh, telecommunications and the internet, It'd be even more of a uh, a wild west. Mm. But basically, rule, rules sort of just calm everything down mm. and make everything a bit more ordered and a bit fairer and a bit safer. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you're talking about um, certainly about corporate interests, um, there, you know, it, to me it, it highlights the the power inequities that can exist. Um, between individuals, like amongst individuals, but then also between individuals and, and big organisations. And I know in some of your work, you've been a real fearless advocate around gambling reform. And that's an area where there are obvious kind of power inequalities or inequities between people who, who I'm not sure you could use the term gamblers, correct me if that's not the right term, but um, people who use gambling services um, and people who provide them. What brought you to this work and what's your experience of doing this advocacy been? Yeah, well, look, I know, I know language is important and but, but, I mean, they are gamblers. They are people who are gambling are gamblers. i tell you the term I, I try very hard to not use is, is problem gambler mm. because uh, um, the industry would like to use the term problem gambler as though it's their, their fault and their problem. Uh, I prefer to use the term uh, a gambling addict because they are addicted to a dangerous product uh, just as every bit as much. And, in fact, the, uh, the medical world now regards gambling addiction in, mm. in much the same way as they regard addiction to, um, you know, alcohol, drugs and so on. Um, mm. but, but to your question, um, what, what brought me to it? Look, um, uh, I first, uh, well, I, I first looked at the 2004 federal election um, and straight away right, uh, gambling and the need for gambling reform popped up on the radar very much then when I read the 2004 federal election for the Greens, 2007 federal election for the Greens, 
I then uh, left the Greens and I stood at the 2010 Tasmanian state election. Um, and that's when really my interest in gambling um, really got a, a move along because of particular problems here in Tasmania with the, uh, the licensing um, for poker machines. Mm. And, you know, I'm looking, I'm, I'm politically active at this stage and I'm thinking about health policy and education policy and defence policy, and foreign policy. But there was this obvious, in fact, a yawning gap when it came to gambling. Um, the major parties weren't uh, looking at it. In fact, they were avoiding it like the plague. It was really the domain of, uh, you know, some independent people, uh, some minor parties. The Bruins were good on it here in Tasmania, mm. particularly around poker machines. But there was this, there was clearly a problem and there was a gap in our public policy response. And I suppose my interest initially was a somewhat theoretical public policy interest. Mm. But as soon as I opened my mouth about it, I became a lightning rod and attracting people to me who had their, their own concerns about gambling in Australia. Mm. And more often than not, it was gambling addicts coming to me to tell me their story mm. or the families or the friends or the co-workers of gambling addicts came to tell me their story. And very quickly, I'd heard a great many stories. And, and now, so I was elected in, in 2010, now what, 2022, Thousands of stories, thousands of people have told me their story. And it very quickly morphed from a, a, a sort of theoretical public policy curiosity to personal. It's personal. Mm. You know, I, I admit that. I, I don't shy away from it. It's personal. Mm. You know, I, I have heard so many stories that have brought me to tears. Yeah. Um, I have known people who have suicided who were subsequently suicided. Mm. Um, I know the families and friends of people who have, have self-harmed, have, have lost. And it, it's, and uh, so that's how it really sort of, you know, and, there's, and, and, and there is just such a, 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 a disconnect between lawmakers and the community they're supposed to represent. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it remains one of the, biggest failures in public policy in this country that you have governments and alternative governments who are not just who are not disinterested in the issue they are that they are they are activists in support of the gambling industry right, right. and uh and it you know it's it's just remarkable that you can have so many people being hurt in so many ways and that is not being addressed by, well, the federal government, the federal opposition in Tasmania, the state government, the state opposition. In fact, when I look around Australia, the only jurisdiction which has done a, a, a better job than anyone else would be probably WA. Right. Where, uh, I don't know, that might surprise you, you weren't expecting that, but, the, <laughs> well, in WA, they, they've kept poker machines out of pubs and clubs. And yeah, right. uh, yeah, they're restricted to the casino. So I applaud the WA government for that. Uh, the rest of the country, uh, including the two territories, um, pokies are widespread. Um, uh, and in fact, well, you know, they, they, they governments defend the gambling industry at every turn. In fact, uh, they're investors in the gambling industry. The 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 uh, 
the Labor Party it, it indirectly owns poker machine venues, uh, work, workers' clubs in the ACT, uh, Randwick Labor Club. Wow. Um, you know, just about all the parties accept big donations from yeah. the industry. Um, government, to, to give governments credit, though, they, they, they are more interested in reform uh, with online and sports betting. Mm, mm. Uh, there, there is some interest and there has been some movement on that, which is a federal government uh, responsibility. Okay. And that was a long, that's a long-winded way of saying you can't hear this many stories and not care. And if you, if you, if you do hear these stories and don't care, then you're a heartless bastard. <laughs> well, we found our, um, we, we found our soundbite for this episode, the, the last five <laughs> seconds. Um, uh, the I, I, I can't imagine it. So I've got my own lived experience of mental health issues and, and mental um, work in the mental health sector personally. And yeah. I know that gambling is um, such a huge driver of distress and, and suicide. And so, yeah, um, yeah I, um, I applaud you for the work and, and, and it is uh, terrifying how absent it's been in our public discussions. And you, you touched a bit on there about some of the harms, but, could you unpack it a little bit more? So what are some of the harms that you see at an individual level um, arising from, from gambling? Um, mm. And what do you see at maybe a broader community or yep. know, systemic level? Well, um, I mean, a gambling addict by definition is, is gambling more than they can afford. Mm. So if you, if you have less money than you need, then everything starts to unravel. Yeah. Um, you... Uh, you can't meet your own individual needs. You, you can't meet the needs of, of your family. You can't pay your bills, yeah. um, you know, and, and the kids suddenly, you know, don't, the kids go without breakfast. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the family can't pay their power bill. Uh, you fall behind on your mortgage. Uh, and all of, the, all of the difficulties of financial hardship then kick in. But, and, of course, that puts enormous strain on relationships. Uh, you know, marriages fall apart, families families break up. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it, it affects your health, uh, as you've already referred to, mental health. Mm. Um, uh, you become mentally and physically unwell. Uh, you, 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 you can't hold out a job. You're, uh, you know, you're... Mentally unwell. You might steal from your job. I've heard that too, because the- oh yes, well, 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 yeah. well yes. Um, yeah. To keep yourself afloat. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not all gambling addicts. No, no, it's no. Gambling sorry. addicts uh, resort to deceit and and uh, criminal behaviour, theft. Uh, and every every so often we see something in the media about that. In fact, I'm reminded that some years ago the Victorian government uh, did some. Sorry, there was some academic research in mm-hmm. Victoria which showed that uh, gambling addiction was the second most prevalent cause of crime, second uh, to uh, the drug trade yeah. and, and drug abuse. And is criminal law really the way to deal with that or is this a public uh, issue? Well, no, because it's, a, it's, a, it, it it, it's, it's an addiction. Mm-hmm. The, if, if the, and, the, and the law does respond differently, as it should, to someone who has a health condition, mm-hmm. basically. Um, but, but the law doesn't respond that way so yeah so heavens we're on a we're on a slide here we're we're short of money we can't we don't have money for the kids for lunch um not paying the power not paying the mortgage the family falls apart you get sick you're stealing from your boss and uh it's no wonder that 
um, the rate of self-harm among gambling addicts is much higher than the general population. Uh, we, don't, we don't know how many people suicide as a direct result of gambling addiction, but I've seen very, very conservative calculations, at least one person every day in this country. In fact, more than one person every day in Australia. Certainly, I've, I've seen good analysis that points to more than 400 a year in Australia of suicides. Um, and that doesn't that doesn't include a t uh, other suicides and yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, and it's suicide anyway in this country is very underreported as well. Yeah. So you know it's uh, and 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 for, for every person who's affect if for every person who is on that on that line you know that pathway the self destruction. Enormous number of people are affected. In fact, um, it's this Tasmanian government research uh, suggests that between five and ten people are affected mm. by by the behaviour or by the addiction of one gambling addict. Mm. So, if there's a hundred, and some people say there's about a hundred thousand poker machine, no, sorry, gambling addicts in Australia at one point in time. That means between half a million and a million people are affected by the addiction of that person. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's just the individual that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, well, I suppose we've started to talk about the effect on the community. Um, if if someone's short of money, it puts pressure on um, uh, the not-for-profit sector. You know, who 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 try and bail them out. Mm. Um, they lose their house, they're homeless, pressure on uh, homelessness and crisis accommodation services, uh, added, added people, extra people wanting or needing public housing, uh, extra people, you know, fronting up to the hospital ED, um, extra people going on government pensions and payments. Uh, the, the effect on the community is great. And again, leaning on Tasmanian government research, um, the gross cost to the community of, of um, gambling is two to three times the taxation value collected from gambling. Mm -hmm. So it's a significant financial uh, weight on the budget. It's incredible. Um, what's that? It's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean the, the figures speak for themselves. Mm. Uh, you, you know, so when 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 politicians think they've got to uh, support the gambling industry because of all the taxation revenue, we're talking billions of dollars of taxation revenue across the country, uh, billions of dollars. Um, you know, they, they see these rivers of gold coming into treasury, mm. but the cost to the community is multiples of that. Yeah. Uh, but it's but it's it's all buried in 101 little areas and off, often picked up by not for profits in the private sector. Uh, you know, it it has a huge um, a huge impact. It's it's yeah, it's incredible uh, to think about it. You know, the scale of of the you know, obviously the individual harms, but like you say, the the broader harms on the state and um, the economic sort of dimensions of the state that we have to fund all of these other systems um, just to allow this ga gambling operators to operate mm -hmm. to no benefit 
of the community. So we're, it's what a waste of time and resources and people's lives to uh, to allow a sector to operate relatively unregulated. I mean, I'd be keen to know if you think they should operate at all, but um, operate but relatively unregulated. Um, uh, like you say, when the, the the sort of the net net benefit is not there, it's a net net loss. Yeah, but I tell you what, though, Simon, there's a net benefit for someone. Yeah. Uh, the the industry donates enormous amounts of money, mm. uh, and I hope we get to talk a, a bit yeah. about donation reform. Mm. You know, the gambling industry donates a lot of money to political candidates and political parties, mm. uh, and. Uh, Oh, I can't remember the exact figure, but a rough order of magnitude over the last decade or so, Crown has made about $20 million in political donations, a couple of million dollars a year. Incredible. Uh, well, that, you know, no, no one invests that sort of money without expecting a return on their investment. Yeah. Well, let's jump to that. So, and we'll, we'll talk about what the Commonwealth can do after that. So, yeah. I mean, political donations, um, you know, we had a... We had a release of some data earlier this week um, around political donations. That was um, I saw reported in the Guardian. It's a huge issue that you've taken up. And you've touched on, um, you've touched on on the on Crown and the donations they've made to, to government. Um, uh, you know, do you think that there's some uh, proposals that or changes that we should be making at a Commonwealth level to to deal with political donations or or at a state level? I, I might add. Oh, definitely at state and federal. Um, you know, I'm sitting here in Hobart. We have the worst political donation laws at the state level of, uh, of any jurisdiction. Uh, we have virtually no laws down here around political donations. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm active down here on that issue. At the federal level, I'm actually uh, just putting the finishing touches to a private member's bill, which mm-hmm. um, I hope to table, uh, well, hopefully in this parliament, but if not, certainly the next parliament. Uh, lots of lots of aspects to it, but it, it touches on all the, the main things that can be done. Mm. For example, um, lowering the disclosure threshold. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, uh, it's about fourteen thousand uh, dollars, a bit over, I think. It's indexed. Um, so any donation under that disclosure threshold, uh, a party or candidate will will report it as just part of a gross figure. But not have to attribute it to anyone. Right. So let's say, let's say, um, uh, I'm going to try and do this off the top of my head. I'll probably mangle this. Let's say I get five donations from five different people, ten thousand dollars each. Hmm. On my disclosure return, currently I just list total amount of donations fifty thousand dollars, number of donors five. And, and we, don't know, we don't know. We don't know where from. You don't know. Don't know where from. If if someone gives me fifteen thousand dollars. That's added to the gross figure, but I have to identify that donor. Yeah. So, so let's lower the donation threshold. Mm-hmm. The, the, sorry, the disclosure threshold mm-hmm. from about fourteen thousand dollars to one thousand dollars. Yep. So that that allows, um, you know, say the public servant who who doesn't want to be seen to support a political party and wants to donate twenty bucks, fifty bucks, a hundred bucks, nine hundred bucks, they can do that, and their identity is shielded. Mm. But someone who's handing over uh, more than a thousand dollars, you know, well, they need to put their name to it publicly. Yes. So lower the disclosure threshold. Real-time reporting. Hmm. Uh, um, there's no reason why, in this day and age, um, the AEC or parties or candidates can't have up on a website 
donations uh, the, 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 the above the disclosure threshold mm. have it up in what day, a couple of days, something yeah. like that. It's like eighteen months now, isn't it, or something like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's all different rules for for different people, and it's it's yeah, it can be eighteen months. Yeah. I mean, put it this way: when you go into the ballot uh, into the polling booth, you don't know. You have no idea who has bankrolled that candidate or party. Mm. Uh, in my case, uh, on my website, I do declare everything over one thousand uh, dollars as soon as possible. After you know, once I can just get it up. Work out how to turn the computer on so <laughs> yeah, within a day or two. Um, yeah. uh, a cap on donations? Yeah. So currently, um, a donor can donate any amount of money, you know, a million dollars, mm. $10 million. Uh, what kind of influence I, I, does that buy you, though? You know? Sorry? What kind of influence does that buy you? That buys, buys, you, well, buys you a lot of influence. The, mm. um, um, in fact, my friend Nick Xenophon had a, a lovely turn of phrase. Well, I came back to bite him. He said, "If uh, if someone gives you a thousand dollars, they support you. If they give you a hundred thousand dollars, they bought you." <laughs> it was always very good with those things. Wasn't it was it? very good. Although it came back to bite him in the bum because uh, sometime later he accepted a donation of over a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> <laughs> which he was challenged on at the time. And I, 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 I <laughs> um, but a cap on donations. Um, I mean, I, 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 in this private members bill I'm working on, I've made. I've put fifty thousand dollars, so no, uh, no individual or company, yeah, can donate more than fifty thousand dollars during an electoral cycle, which at the federal level is three years. Mm. So, if Woodside was to give someone fifty thousand dollars total over three years, that's gonna. Well, I don't know. Woodside's a good example, but I can't. You know, Acme mm. generic mm. company. They buy a lot less influence with fifty thousand dollars than a million dollars. Absolutely, and it yeah. you know that 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 huge amount of money I imagine diminishes my influence um, as as well, right? So it's not just about yes. the influence they have; it's about the impact that has on my ability to influence, um, uh, you know, the Labor Party to to deal with or yeah. the party to deal with the mining or climate change yeah. or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So a cap on a cap on donations, and I, I think we could even do what Kiwis do and have a cap on on uh, expenditure. Mm. Uh, in New Zealand, they some some items expenditure like TV and stuff is there is some sort of cap on how much candidates and parties can spend. Um, and also, then this is an important one: is change the definition of donation to include any act or payment that materially benefits a candidate or party. Yeah, because you could just do some pretty indirect kind of mechanisms currently, I imagine, right? Uh, yeah, well, 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 at the, um, this is a state example, but at the 2018 Tasmanian state election, um, a number of groups ran anti-Labor ads because Labor briefly wanted gambling reform. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, um, these these groups which were running anti-labor ads didn't have to declare any political donation to the liberal party because mm. they were running their own ads for their own, but it had the, it had the material benefit the material mm. effect of benefiting the liberal party yeah yeah so you know i, I think if, if if someone if someone in my own electorate started running um and my opponent here is basically the labor party it's a it, without me to go back to labor so mm. if someone started running anti-labor ads in the Clark electorate, 
that materially benefits me. Yeah. There's an argument for somehow that having to be cleared a donation to Andrew Wilkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, no one's going to do that down here, but, but you get the gist of it. Yeah, but you want to set a you want to set a goalpost or somewhere that we that we need to to move towards and yeah. yeah. What so maybe paint a picture for us then, uh, just for a minute or two, and then we'll quickly get your views on what we need to do with gambling reform. But how would the world look different to me if your if your gambling reforms? If I look at my government, how would it look different? If if sorry, if your political donation laws um, passed, what would I see that's different? Um, well, I think I think some donors would not donate. Mm. So I think the receipts, um, the amount of money the parties and candidates have to campaign would be reduced. Yeah. Um, if we had a cap on donation, well, if we had a cap on, well, I'll, I'll go through them one at a time. One dollar yeah. disclosure threshold. Sorry, one thousand dollar disclosure threshold. Yeah. And real time reporting. It means when you go in and vote, you know who's backing who. Yeah, and who bankrolled who? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's more, informed, more informed decision. Yeah. A more informed decision. A much better informed decision. Um, uh, and the the process you're participating in wouldn't have been corrupted basically by mm. money. Um, in Australia, you know, when someone hands over a hundred thousand dollars or million dollars, um, that as I said earlier, they're not handing over that money without expecting a return on the investment. Yeah. And, and, it, and it does buy you thoughts. It's, it's corrupting our democracy, not in a criminal sense, mm. but, but in some ways it's no better than a, a brown paper bag full of cash in, a, in another country. It's just yeah. that here it's not illegal. Mm. So the process would be cleaner. Um, you would be better informed. Mm. Um, uh, the cap on donations would greatly limit the influence of some actors in this country. Yeah. It has certainly limited the influence of the gambling industry, Mm. Uh, but also, uh, you know, the fossil fuel industry, Mm. the miners, the banks. Mm. Um, A cap on expenditure would uh, prevent people like Clive Palmer (laughs) annoying us to death. (laughs) Yeah. With Uh, 30-minute ads on YouTube. 30-minute ads. I mean, it would, it would, it would, in one in one foul swoop, it would um, prevent money buying political power. Yeah. Um, and uh, what was another thing? Oh, the definition of donation again. It would it would we would see who's behind what. Yeah. And 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 by shining a light on stuff, you know, a bright light, sunlight, it kills a lot of bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it kills a lot of germs, and it would do the same in the in the electoral process. I think that, I mean, it's a starting point for most of the things that we care about, um, I yeah. think, that those donation laws. Briefly, what do you think the government can do to fix our, a Commonwealth government can do to fix our, our gambling gambling laws? Yeah, look, um, we, don't have to, we don't need to ban stuff, but we could, federal and state governments have it within their power to, reg, uh, to implement effective harm minimisation measures. Mm. That's all you know. Effective harm minimisation measures. There are so many things that can be done really quickly. Um, for example, and it's if there's different rules in every state and territory, but let's say with poker machines, um, pass a law, $1 maximum bets. 
you know, not $10. Yeah. Um, double the time of a, of a so-called game from, you know, say three seconds to six seconds. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, if, if, in some states you can lose $10 every three seconds. How about we make it a maximum $1 every six seconds? I mean, straight away you slow the thing up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, legislate a ban on addictive features. Yeah. yeah. For example, there's a thing called a false win where you, you might bet $5, you win $2 back, and all the bells and whistles go off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what, yeah. What's yeah. That? I mean, they, they're uh, hacking our brain anyway. Yeah. yeah. So so there, there's there's three harm minimization measures on poker chain mm. online and sports betting. Mm. Um, I tell you, the one thing I, I do, and a government could do it at the they could get it through the parliament in a week and out to the governor general in a week. Pass a law requiring all of the Australian online gambling companies, all of which have sort of some sort of pre-commitment arrangement where the punter has to set a daily limit, and when they reach their daily limit, they're uh, and it's easy with online; it's all computerised. Mm. They're, 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 they're shut out from gambling for the rest of the day. But, of course, you know, they pull out their phone, like Tinder, I suppose, just flicking across <laughs> flicking across to the next betting app. Yeah, yeah. And so in real time, and the industry tells me this is easily achieved if all of the Australian companies linked in real time yeah. their pre-commitment limits. Yeah, yeah. So when someone breaches a limit on one app and they flick across to their next app, yeah. they're locked out of that as well. Yeah, yeah. Simple. Now that's just a simple. That's a simple law change, yeah. uh, and and that what that one thing would greatly improve the safety and reduce the harm of uh, online. Probably would save lives. Um, it, would, it would save lives. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's some really clear reforms, and we'll make sure we put some of those in the show notes too. Listeners, yeah. uh, we have a call to action for listeners um, at the end of this. What's one thing if you're listening today uh, that you want uh, people to do? If you're listening to this podcast and you care about the things we're talking about, then do something about it. Don't just tolerate it. Um, and, and there are so many things every member of the community can consider doing. Um, write a letter to the editor. Uh, ring up Talk Back Radio. Go to a protest rally. Um, meet with your local, state or federal MP and don't accept being shuffled, shuffled, shuffled sideways to an advisor. Say, no, I need to talk to the MP. Mm. You know? and, and don't meet with the people who already agree with you. Meet with the people you, that disagree with you. Stop spending all day or all night in, in community halls surrounded by people who already agree with you. Go and change someone's mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you're better to change one person's mind than attend a, than attend a one hour meeting with 500 people who already agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, join things. Join activist groups. Uh, so you get strength in numbers to to campaign collectively for reform. Uh, that that's the only way we're going to change things. Otherwise, nothing will change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've you've got you've got one one person here that's. Um, that's going to go out and do some of those things. And I'm sure um, the listeners will too. Um, thank you so much for the conversation today, Andrew. Um, Fine, best of luck with the reforms. Yeah, maybe, maybe people can start a podcast. <laughs> a gambling well, podcast. Any, any a gambling podcast. podcast. 
Yeah, any clown yeah. can get into Parliament. Any clown can have a podcast. <laughs> well, that's another yeah. thing. Stand for Parliament. You know, yeah. if you really want to make a difference, stand for Parliament. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, if uh, be clear about your own personal policy on donations. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Take care, Andrew. All right, Simon. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you.